0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Whether or not they're English majors, this year a whole bunch of students at the University of Missouri-St. Louis are reading the same book. In fact, more than 50 professors across many disciplines have signed up their classes to participate in what's called a common read. The book this year is If Beale Street Could Talk. It was written by James Baldwin and first published in 1974. And yes, you may have seen the movie that came out last year. Idalas Williams is a graduating senior at UMSL, majoring in English. She's actually reading If Beale Street Could Talk for More Than One Class This Semester. She loves the common read aspect.
1: I think it allows people to have a sense of camaraderie, that we're all reading the same book, we're all uh, hearing the same exact story told, and that way we can have this open dialogue about it. It doesn't have to be about necessarily feelings of what you see on TV or what you don't see. It's about what we have in front of us on this book, and we talk about it, and then we get to work through it and critically think about issues that have been happening for years.
0: That's UMSL Senior Dallas Williams. Joining me in studio to talk even more about UMSL's Common Read is Andrew Kirsten. He's Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at UMSL. Andy, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. We're also joined by Priscilla Dowden White. She's an associate professor of history at UMSL. Priscilla, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's
2: great to be here.
0: And for those of you listening, have you ever read If Beale Street Could Talk? What was your main takeaway from the story? Give us a call at 314 382 8255. That's 382 Talk. Or you can send us a tweet at STL On Air or email us at talk at STLpublicradio.org. So, Andrew Kirsten, first question for you Why do a common reader in the first place?
3: I think there are a lot of reasons to do a common read. Uh, One of them was very practical. When I started as dean about a year ago, we received a grant from the University of Missouri System to do something in diversity and inclusion. And we got that group who wrote the grant together and tried to figure out what to do with the money. And we quickly arrived on the idea of a common read uh... one text in this case a text that would provide a platform for discussions that would help us meet uh... one of the key goals of the new um... strategic plan which deals with uh... diversity inclusion It also deals with another goal which is becoming an anchor institution in the region in other words extending the university out into the community and we thought Uh, given the topic, this would be a great way to engage the community and the campus at the same time.
0: So not just students reading this book, but people from outside the the school can join you.
3: This is what surprised us, is that we we, put out a survey uh, for the campus and the alums to choose a book, and this one quickly rose to the top. But Mm -hmm. what we found when we began to talk about it is that uh, high schools, um, public libraries, and various alumni groups were very excited about it and wanted to read and talk about it and come back to campus and uh, engage in a conversation.
0: Priscilla Dunn-White, um, were you surprised to see this outpouring, not just people who are assigned this text for a class, but people who are choosing voluntarily to sign up to join you guys?
2: I was, but I was also surprised that we had so many Courses that have adopted it. I mean, mm-hmm. over 50.
0: That is an courses, amazingly you know, large across number. Across
2: disciplines. Um, you know, I expected it from the liberal arts disciplines, but I honestly didn't expect it from some of the other disciplines.
3: Yeah, Priscilla's right. It shocked me as well that the College of Business Administration has classes, uh, the College of Nursing, Social Work. It, it really has had a pervasive. Uh, Excitement and momentum.
0: In terms of some of these non-traditional, um, you know, not l- literary uh, type disciplines, how do they integrate a text like this into their class? Did you talk to them at all about that, Andy?
3: We did, and I think there's so much in this text. And in some ways, the the book is deceptive, deceptively simple. I think in Baldwin's way of doing that, um, but in the text is is really everything that you can think about it. There's the justice system. There's race. There's class. There's gender. There's age. Um, in, in, in addition, other things that intersect, um, the legal system mm-hmm. and, of course, family. And I think it, it's just a, a book that everyone can relate to. Uh, it's a, In some ways, it's an easy read. You can get through it, but it'll leave you thinking about it for months after.
0: It's a relatively slim book. I imagine that probably helped sell some people who aren't huge readers to say, yeah, I can take this on.
3: Two chapters,
0: is that right? I didn't even, even as reading it, I didn't notice that it's only two chapters. That's a huge selling point.
2: <laughs> and I also think the
0: film's timing coming out
2: helped mm-hmm. us a great deal.
0: It was already mm-hmm. sort of out there in mm-hmm. the ether. Uh, so Natalie Hartman is a local senior in high school who's already taking college courses at UMSOL, including Kim Welch's class on American literature. She told us that If Beale Street Could Talk has been her favorite book all semester, and that, she said, is because of how relatable it is.
1: One of the main themes of this text is hope, you know? How can you find hope when you're sitting in jail wrongfully convicted, you know, for a crime that you didn't commit? You don't know when your trial date is coming. Like the police are doing everything they possibly can to bias the case in their favor. You know, they, they don't want to see Fani. like they don't want to see him be released from jail. And he has his girlfriend is pregnant now and, That's giving him something to look forward to on the outside, but there's no clear resolution to the story. It doesn't get its happy ending.
0: Uh, That's UMSL student Natalie Hartman, who's also a senior in high school and and speaking very perceptively about this novel. Um, Andrew, as Natalie alludes to here, these are some pretty difficult themes. As much as it's a relatively short book with those two chapters, this is no walk in the park
3: no and i think um, a lot of people can relate to uh the friends and family we've had engage in the justice system and what happens to them Um, there are other pieces of this book i think we can relate to Uh, i think baldwin in in his brilliance uh, puts a kind of um, puts this family in an accessible way through windows where you can see them operating and see um, men, talking to men in ways that you don't often see stylized in other novels or especially on television or the internet. So I think it's very powerful.
2: I'd just like to to add to what Andy just said Um, in terms of Baldwin showing us in his writing in general and in particular in Beale Street, uh, scenes that some people might not normally See, but are just the everyday lives of the people that he writes about. Uh, Toni Morrison talked about uh, what she referred to as the white gaze, and how it's important for a writer, and it's important. It was important to her as a writer to uh, get beyond the white gaze, and what she meant by that was not that African Americans are not affected by their relationships in society with white people, but that they live their lives every day apart from those circumstances as well, Mm -hmm. even when those circumstances or in various ways having an impact. So, you know, I'm not sure if some of the scenes that Andy is is thinking of, but, well, you did mention one, the the, the scene between the fathers. I mean, Mm -hmm. those are things that we may not, you know, as a whole society, see Mm -hmm. uh, that are very important. To get Um, to see
0: these two African-American men talk about what it's like to be a father, um that's a scene that for me as a white woman I might never get to be privy to. Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. Um and and my favorite my favorite uh scene in in the book and in the movie as well is uh, when the families come together and they're told um about the pregnancy. <laughs> I'm I'm trying not to give too much away here. No spoilers. But but, <laughs> but um that scene was was such uh, a rich scene on so many levels mm-hmm. because you saw so much of the complexity in the family life. Mm-hmm. Um, but these families in th-
0: some ways are very different. It, yes. And here they are, these these two worlds are sort of colliding over this pregnancy. Yes, yes. and And there were things that were colliding
2: in that scene that have been Um, Issues within the black community for a very long time and you see them bubbling up, you know, color consciousness, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. you know, because some of the family, one side of the family has a darker complexion than the other side of the family, Mm -hmm. you know, class issues there. So, yeah.
0: That one family is sort of striving to to do better, and they they feel like this other family may bring them down. These kinds well, of issues. Well, both
2: families are striving to do better,
0: mm-hmm. but
2: they're kind of in in different worlds in a way. Th- they may not see each other or one another striving in the same ways.
3: And I think uh, Priscilla is really spot on, and she put her finger right on the pulse of this book, but. I think no matter where you're from, there are elements in there, two families coming together, I think is a, is a commonality in human existence, and there are many different ways to approach that question. But also, there are some pretty important issues here about uh, mental wellness uh, and the struggles that people have uh, on their own and in, com- in community and in families. And so I think there's a lot to grapple with, and I think this is the sort of the haunting way the book brings you in and then leaves you thinking afterwards. And I think that's part of the reason why uh, we hear from our students that well, this was, I, fun is not quite the right word, but certainly yeah. engaging, engaging. In, in a way to, to keep you thinking and, and, and wanting to read more.
0: Uh, one of those students is Ama uh, Ashish, and she's in her first semester at UMSL after transferring from St. Louis Community College. She's planning to herself become a teacher. And she spoke with us about some of the characters' interactions and the
1: power dynamics in the book. We see uh, the Jewish landlord who gave him the loft, uh, you know, decided to give him the loft and have them rent it due to the fact that he believes in love and he doesn't see color. Uh, we see uh, Pedro Sito, who is the uh, waitress, and he's also a minority. And we can we can see how they um, basically connect with each other compared to just a white person and how a white person is completely opposite in the way he reacts to a minority compared to um, these three. Also, the woman who owns the supermarket. And when she uh, told Officer Bell that he's just being racist and that, you know, she knows them. She saw what happened. Besides all of these characters, that one white person had so much control and power.
0: That's Ama Ashish, who's a, in her first semester at Umsol. Priscilla, I know this book is fiction, but do you feel like when it's it's looking at the time um, that it's it's set in, that it gets race relations in New York City Correct.
2: Absolutely. And as a historian and a teacher of history, a novel like this um, is, is very important for use in, in the classroom for a number of reasons. Not only that it, you know, it it gets it it depicts um, these various issues and situations correctly. But one of the challenges that I have as a teacher of African-American history sometimes is a- attempting to, in 16 weeks, in an African-American survey class, reflect African-American life and culture and history in a holistic way
0: that's an incredible We're, job to try to do that in it, 16 it, weeks
2: it, it, it is I, and, and, and if i had a longer period of time i'm not sure that i would yeah you, <laughs> i would still not, not face the do same challenges <laughs> but but that that thread of racial discrimination and the impact of racism on black life is present throughout And how to teach that without communicating that that's all there is to black life is a challenge. And a novel like If Bill Street Could Talk really helps engage um, other senses, Mm -hmm. you know, if that makes sense.
0: That it's not just politics. They have these rich lives. Yes. Uh, We're talking to Priscilla Dowden-White. She's an associate professor of history at UMSL. And we're also talking to Andrew Kirsten, who's the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at UMSL. We're talking about the Common Read, If Beale Street Could Talk. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And now back to our conversation about UMSOL's common read, If Beale Street Could Talk. We're here with Andrew Kirsten. He's dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at UMSL. And we're also joined by Priscilla Dowden-White. She's an associate professor of history at UMSL. For those of you listening, what do you think is so appealing about a bunch of people all reading the same book together at the same time? Give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, Bailey Henson is a senior English major at UMSL. She says the novel has led to many good conversations.
1: Honestly, I think that it provided me as a white female an opportunity to talk to a lot of different people I mean I've gotten to talk to um, in my class alone there are multiple African American students and um, there are a couple of Muslim students and uh, just lots of different backgrounds and being able to have this community that is large enough to include a lot of different people, but small enough to where we can have these kinds of discussions and where we can get opinions from other people with these completely different worldviews and perceptions and perspectives is kind of invaluable. And it was very, I don't want to say fun because it the discussions we're having aren't about fun things. They're about really serious things, but it's so interesting and, um, just enlightening to get to talk to different people and um, get their perspectives and really just be able to hash out some of those issues where it might not necessarily affect me and I might not understand. And I was just met with a lot of like grace for that situation where people were like, it's okay that like, you don't get it, but let us help you. And it was very humbling. And, um, just an overall really great eye-opening experience.
0: That's Bailey Henson. She's a senior English major at UMSL. Andrew Kirsten, is, as Bailey mentioned, UMSL is such a diverse place, and this novel deals so directly with race relations. Were you worried about having some really uncomfortable conversations that some students might not be ready for um, what's portrayed in this novel?
3: Universities are built for uncomfortable conversations. It's kind of what we do. We stretch people's uh, feeling of comfort and try to engage in a way that leaves our students with a better understanding, if not inspired. But I think on that common read part, if you think about our lives in general, they're very compartmentalized. Um, we have majors that are different than other majors. We exist in different colleges. We might have different cycles to our day. When we go on social media, it's it's driven to communities of like minds. And And here's a common element of our academic year that forces people from various backgrounds to come together and to confront some things, not only that have happened in the past in New York City, which I remember when I was a kid, but also some things that may happen here in this region that we are are present of mind that we we need a better understanding.
0: It's interesting. You say universities are, are built for this. And in some ways, I know that that has been the case. Yet the stereotype is that students today are afraid of hearing perspectives that are different than their own, or that they're afraid of being challenged, and that this can lead to big problems for teachers who try to push them too far. Priscilla Dowden-White, do you think that that stereotype is, is just not true?
2: Well, I, I I don't know that that's that's really true, um, and and I think that there is likely a difference between classrooms at the university level, classrooms at the high school and middle school level, and so I think you might get some of that um, depending on what level mm-hmm. your your classroom is, but. I've found, and it, it may just have to do with the way I approach education, um, and I've always seen my classroom and the university in general, as Andy said, as the place mm-hmm. where we tackle those those issues. And I always start classes um, with um, a discussion about that very thing, hmm. about what history is and about what education is. And this is an arena for us to challenge one another. So you're sort of, uh, of taking that on yeah. head on. What, what has to be clarified sometimes is the difference uh, between um, this healthy challenge that we're talking about, this healthy engagement, mm-hmm. uh, which is the only way that we grow Mm -hmm. And being disrespectful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, today in particular, we're dealing with a a lot of um, disrespect in our culture. And sometimes we have to ferret that out to make sure that, that students understand that challenge is a good thing. And that's really the only way that we learn.
0: Do you think maybe UMSL students are uniquely more prepared for something like this book because of the fact that these aren't rich kids who are up in the ivory tower? You know, this is, for the most part, a commuter school. These kids are so hardworking. Um, So many of them come from socioeconomic situations where they might be able to relate to this, even if they're, say, white kids. Andy, what do you think?
3: That, that could be true. I, I do think that our students are very resilient and I think our faculty do a great job of creating an environment for learning even difficult things and that um, it's safe to disagree, it's safe to ask more questions. We hear this in our student comments in this program that they feel they, that they can ask questions, they can go outside of their comfort zone and receive uh, different information that they expected. I, I do think UMSL is uniquely positioned in the community to provide this common read about topics like this. Our students, by a large uh, measure, are uh, come from middle class and working class backgrounds. That's true. Uh, that said, we have a tremendous mix of students. We have a large residential population. We have students who are taking care of families and coming to school. So that family question might be um, one that's very important, and also the, the theme about love that's mm-hmm. pervasive in the book is also something that they're thinking about and struggling with. And finally, I might add, um, many of our students are intrigued about the jazz quality of the book as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I know it left me thinking more about that.
0: Tell but us, for the, for readers who haven't read that, what do you mean by that jazz quality?
1: Well, uh,
3: uh, without I, giving away so, too much, like Priscilla, I'm a U.S. historian talking about literary things, so we should be cautious. Uh, uh, <laughs> however, there is something about improvisation. There's something about hope and loss. There's something about the way jazz and and jazz-infused uh, music deals with uh, unexpected things that happen uh, and then the constancy of life the 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 bass the the drumming so I I wonder if really I, I don't want to speak beyond any kind of thoughts I might <laughs> securely have on this but it is really it there's a there's a harmony with the music that I think the film brings out perfectly mm-hmm. that you have to imagine even more in the novel when you read it
0: and you see those same sort of
2: points. I do. And and I'd just like to to add um to what Andy said uh, in response to your question about our, our students by comparison to to other students. You know, I've taught at, you know, at UMSL now for going on 30 years, and I've seen our university grow and our student population change over time. Mm-hmm. And there was a time when we would describe our student population as non-traditional students. But at a certain point, we realized that the non-traditional student was becoming traditional. Hmm. And that's not just at our university, but it definitely is at, at our university. And I've always um, thought that there is a core of our students that have what I call a, um, a rugged working class sensibility mm-hmm. that I actually admire, that I think helps them to grasp uh, a wide range of um, issues and experiences. And I say all of this not to suggest that um, at other universities that may um, uh, have more um, upper middle and upper class students, that that's not the case, because I do think that there is some stereotyping that goes on Mm -hmm. there as as well. um, you know, in looking at students from... The Wash U uh, student might not be
0: what we assume the Wash U student is. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So Joe Pickard, he's a faculty member in the School of Social Work, and he's been asking his graduate students to relate the Baldwin text to various sociological theories. He told us why he finds the UMSL common read so worthwhile for the campus community.
1: There's something special about knowing that you're part of a much larger body of learners. It's something that helps to create community and a shared sense of meaning. Um, And as far as my students, one thing we know is that people who read, particularly novels, tend to develop more empathy than they might otherwise. And as you're reading, you're putting yourself into somebody else's shoes. With this book, I don't necessarily anticipate that all my students will suddenly change their perspective on issues around social justice, race, and so forth, but I do hope that they will all learn to at least understand perspectives of black Americans and the black community, and maybe some of the struggles that might be unique to them.
0: That's Joe Pickard. He's a faculty member in the School of Social Work. Andrew Kirsten, do you think it's important to encourage students to read fiction, even if they're not in a discipline where fiction would ever be a part of it?
3: I do, for a number of reasons. I think uh, Joe is absolutely right. It some of our activities like this help to create empathy or cultivate empathy within us, and that's, uh, that's a good end. But in addition, um, I'm struck by the fact that m- most of our world is dominated by the short form. Uh, mm-hmm. We read headlines, we read small bits of information, and this gives us a chance as a, as a campus, as a community, to read something in the long form, which I, I think is just a net positive good
0: and do you guys get the sense that your students are, they're reading the whole thing through? They're not just um, trying to read quickly for the test or get this done to write the essay. Well, I, I've not talked to other faculty yet
2: about their experiences with this, but my students are just now starting the novel. So I'm not so going to have a So that question is sense. still ahead of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm giving them a lot of time because... We're actually not going to deal with it head on until we get to the 1960s and 70s. What, you know, when the book timing. is timing. Yes, for when the
0: book is set. So, Andy, you mentioned the film earlier. Is this something where it, will there be screenings of it? Or are, are you encouraging students to also watch the film?
3: Indeed. There are two signature events at the University of Missouri-St. Louis around the common read. The first is on October 24th. Dr. Farrah Griffin of Columbia University will give a campus lecture about the book at 2 p.m., at the J.C. Penney Conference Center.
0: Is, is that open to even members of the public? It
3: is. Okay. Yep, and it's on our website. Just please come. And then, then on October 30th at 2 p.m., we'll have a screening of the film at the same time.
0: And that's also open to the public? Indeed. Okay.
3: There also have also been some uh, community um, movie houses that have shown the film, I think uh, several of them.
0: That's great. Priscilla, um, on the subject of the film, do you think that um, it stands alone, if people haven't read the book, that they can derive some of these same rich meanings as, as you'd get from the book? Or should people really look to do these in tandem if they want to be part of this Common Read experience?
2: Well, I, you know, I think that this is a film that does a very good job with the book. But I'm one who never thinks that films can take the place of a book. And so I always... Um, encourage uh, students and others to read the book and view the film. And I think this one in particular, I don't know how Andy feels about this, but I think that the book and the film lend themselves particularly to a great discussion of talking about how how they, you
3: know, Compare
0: where they come together, mm-hmm. where they they mm-hmm. go in divergent ways. Andy, would you agree with that?
3: I do. I'm the kind. Well, I'm a little old school. I tend to read the novel first and then go to the film. Sort of the Harry Potter problem, if you'd like. <laughs> but in in this context. Um, Having Baldwin set the scene in your mind first and then seeing the film, um, I I think is an important uh, piece. There are some things that come through. I haven't seen the film yet, but just in the clips and the trailers, there are some things that come through really with flying colors. But I do think that um, the other part is that Baldwin intended for this story to be read. And Mm -hmm. I think that's just to to honor him uh, as an artist is to to try to, to. Confront what he did in the medium
0: that he wanted us to. We should actually grapple with this tax, not just <laughs> and, sit back for two hours. And, <laughs> and I'd
2: also like to add that you know we're we're blessed that we're doing this uh, in the midst of, of a Baldwin Renaissance, you know, a renaissance, if you will. Um, and and I'm I'm especially glad that that I'm here to to experience this. I uh, met him and interviewed him in the mid-1980s. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> when I'm i was so impressed <laughs> by this.
0: My jaw, I think, literally
2: just dropped. <laughs> when, when I was a student at Cornell University. And I um, drove uh, what, I don't know how many of your viewers will recognize this term, but what was a hoopty, a really raggedy, big old Oldsmobile 1988 car. And we were having a, a conference there in celebration of the retirement of the director of the Africana Center. And I was doing um, my thesis on Joe Lewis, the boxer Joe Lewis is a culture hero. And so there were several people there, in addition to Baldwin, that I asked to, to interview. And he says, yes, only if you will drive me back to my hotel. And I'm like, oh, I cannot drive you back in my raggedy car. He says, well, I've ridden in a raggedy car before, so and he was just he was just amazing.
0: Wow so you did drive him back. I I drove him back and, and,
2: and, and went to his hotel room and we we did the interview, and he says, "Okay, now we have to go downstairs for drinks." And at that time, I wasn't drinking alcohol, and so, but he was. <laughs> and I wish that it would have been the time when we had cell phones, right. and I would have taken a selfie. I have no pictures of it, but I do have his autograph on my book, The Price of the Ticket. And
0: what an amazing story! Your students have you told your students yet that are not reading yet this book? Told them this then. is gonna blow their minds. Yes, mind. and
2: I'm gonna bring them the autograph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what.
0: Wow, what an amazing story! That's terrific. <laughs> Uh, Andy Kirsten I know you cannot possibly top that um, however I was curious this this common read it seems like from everybody we talked to that this has just gone swimmingly is it safe to say you guys are going to do this again next year
3: absolutely and I think we'll be even more intentional with that survey to gather in more voices and opinions on what we should be doing I was going to say it
0: seems like the choice of the book everything flows from that if you'd pick the wrong book um, or you know something that people weren't into we might be having a completely different conversation today I Think so. Yeah. What was the first runner-up?
3: Well, I, there was a mix of books in the in there. Some were history. Um, mm. um, the warmth of uh, other sons, I think, is one book about the Great Migration. Uh, Michelle Obama's uh, uh, book, Rose to the Top.
2: The original Jim Crow. Oh, okay. The new Jim. The, the, the new, new Jim, Jim Crow about Jim
3: incarceration. Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think this one just sort of. Um, we were a small group, a little bit of an ad hoc group. We were just gonna do just get a book out there, you know, our first year, and maybe a couple classes would pick it up, and then um, it sort of swarmed us, which is great. Yeah. I think we also need, probably at Elm, so a little more inclusive group to, to bring in other voices from other colleges in the community and the alumni. Now that you know alums. just mm-hmm.
0: how much this, this could take off.
3: And so. then the secret sauce to everything is the students. Yeah. So um, being dean is a lot of fun. The secret about being a dean is just follow what the students are doing. Just, just watch them, and they will tell you. And I've seen them. So I often go through our Millennium Student Center, that great building. And I see students reading the book, carrying the mm-hmm. book. So I, I think they're doing their homework.
0: They're actually reading it. That is terrific to hear. And it sounds like, based on some of these runners-up, you might have some really good picks for next year, too. So, Andy Kirsten and Priscilla Dowden-White of UMSL, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.